and welcome to episode 28 of Slaytanic Vercast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, Slayer. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting from Noel Clark's personal darkroom, it's Dr. Lequescence. How are you doing, Doc? I'm very well, as usual. Um, I've, I've, I've been having all kinds of pleasant, nostalgic thoughts. Mm. Um, so, um, I'm not quite sure where Noel Clark is at the moment, so I, 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 I thought I'd, uh, take the chance to, to, to creep, to, to do what I usually do and, and, and creep into someone's, uh, hidden synastorium. Um, and the fascinating thing about Noel Clark's darkroom is there's nothing remotely sinister about it. Wow, how about that? What's the chance of that, Doc? Um, it contains numerous... Examples of 35mm film hanging up um, with some of them have charming pictures of cats, some of them have charming pictures of um, London landmarks. Mm-hmm. Um, there are various containers that prove to contain photographic chemicals um, and nothing of interest to someone like me at all. No, but how, depre- how totally, totally depressing. I thought you were going to find something utterly, utterly scurrilous, but no such luck. No, uh, I mean, um, surprisingly enough, no, nothing remotely scurrilous has come to light, um, mm-hmm. except for the fact um, that I've grown an interesting new protuberance since I've been here. Oh, really? Now, um, this isn't unusual for me, but normally it takes several days, um, or several hours at least, but in the two or so hours I've, I've, I've been um, conducting you understand, um, thoroughly reasonable and justifiable investigations. Sure. Um, uh, an, an odd parrot-like beak has manifested itself in the centre of my forehead. Dear. Dear, um, dear, dear, dear. Has this ever happened before? Um, never a parrot-like beak. Mm. Um, I mean, um, okay, like once and very memorably, um, I woke up one morning um, and a row of small but very hungry and sharply toothed mouths had appeared um, mm-hmm. around where my stomach should be. Right. Do, do you think that um, you know, your, your strange experimentation on your own DNA, do you think it's possible that you have activated some junk DNA that, that encodes for a beak? Is that possible? Um, I'm, I'm going to have to look into this, um, and that's going to be very, very easy for, um, to do because the parrot's beak is immediately above one of my eyes. Right. So I, I can, I can um, um, 17 of them at the last count. Um, so um, the eye in question is capable of extruding um, out of its nodule um, mm-hmm. on, on, on short but immensely flexible tentacle. Mm-hmm. So I can very, very literally look into the parrot's beak. Um, I'll, I'll have to be careful in case the parrot's beak has some sentience of its own and, and, and takes umbrage to the eye, because sure. that, that could go very badly for me indeed. And you want to make um, sure there are no teeth in there, you know, because as we know, evil scientists recently created chickens with teeth, quite literally creating hen's teeth. Goodness gracious me. Yeah. Um, well... <clears throat> In that case, um, I was hoping to conceal this discovery for a long time, um, but um, many, many of the old certainties are falling away, um, and I think the time will be right um, for me to submit to peer review the fact that I believe I've created rocking horse shit. 
Well, whatever you discover, Doc, get it pa- get it patented as quickly as you possibly can because you know the rise of CRISPR is unstoppable. Um, you, you want you want to get your cut of the money, your slice of the pie. It's 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 the least you deserve, Doc, in my opinion. But it's it's a philosophical conundrum. Um, what simile will we be able, we will be able to use for extreme rarity? Um, I mean, we have of course known that unicorns have existed for a long time, particularly pink ones that jump over rainbows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so they can't be used as a, 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 a simile for a, a simile or indeed a metaphor or even mm-hmm. a metonymy for rarity anymore. And now hen's teeth can't and rocking mm-hmm. shit can't. So maybe maybe we could use as rare as a 70s TV presenter that hasn't been to prison, you know? I don't know why that came to mind while you're in Noel Clark's dark room, but, I'd, you know... Um, I think a more poignant and possibly more postmodern one would be as rare as a 70s television presenter that has been to prison. <laughs> oh, oh, very good, Doc. Listen, let's crack on. We've got a bit of a hard out today. Um, so, <clears throat> should we have a look at the topic of the week? What do, what, what do you say, Doc? Let's have a look at the topic of the week. Um, hit me up. Here we go. Um, metal in movies. Can you give me three examples where metal in in any of its stripes has been used effectively in a movie in your opinion um, i'm pretty sure i've got this right cannibal corpse in ace ventura pest detective that's a very very good one yes you're quite right yeah the first ace ventura movie there is definitely a scene where he wanders through some kind of basement club and yeah you know some muscular men are on guitar playing some brutal death metal and I, I think it is cannibal, cannibal corpse playing their, their their absolute pop sensation hammer smash face <laughs> <laughs> well, um, i suppose it's a good job it wasn't she was asking for it but um uh right your turn that's well that's a very that, that, that's a really really strong opening doc i've totally forgotten about that um i'm going with return of the living dead Part two. Um, it's a really kind of schlocky, hokey bit of eighties, mid eighties zombie nonsense, just the way we like them. I think it's the film that really cemented the idea of zombies crying out for brains. Um, yeah. they, I think so. Maybe the first one, or, or maybe the, or maybe this one. There's an excellent sequence towards the end of the movie where our heroes are escaping the zombie hordes in, a, in an ambulance that's a bit d- dilapidated, can't drive very fast. So, you know, there's tension. The back doors of, of the ambulance are open. The zombies are kind of shuffling towards them. Um, and for some reason, they're chucking some stuff out. I can't remember what it is. So I, I can't remember if it's a lure or something to poison the zombies. I can't remember which way it works. Um, but the whole time it's going on, you've got ADI, the horror of it all, by Anthrax playing away. And it's absolutely... Fabulous! It's a great, great sequence. I'm um, I'm actually struggling a bit now because metal isn't often used very mm. well, very effectively in movies, is it? No, it's not. No, that, um, that, 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 that you know that's kind of the 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 um, inspiration for my question. Really, was I was thinking, yeah, you know, when is metal used in music in movies, except for when it's the villain playing? something in their car or in their workshop as they're making their weapons or something, you know? 
Um, I think it was pretty much a staple of um, 80s action, or 80s action films or 80s cop shows that um, at some point the, the character would have to go undercover to infiltrate a cult mm. or a drug ring or something. And um, they would have to start in um, some sort of allegedly wild, edgy, da- edgy dangerous place. Um, and it would inevitably be um, a, um, an extremely mild-looking um, neon discotheque um, that had something a bit thrashy playing or dubbed in later on the soundtrack. Yeah, um, d- 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 I, from your description, you know, I can I can easily imagine, you know, what you know, one of the harder Motley Crue tracks, for example. Yeah, being played in the background for sure. Um, there's there's an un- they they do that with unintentionally hilarious consequences in the Matrix, and I think it's probably actually some German techno they're playing, but. Mm. Um, because of the, the the direction of the scene, um, uh, even though it's meant to be this um, extreme, really edgy underground club they go to, the music is obviously being played at a volume that permits the character to speak in a perfectly normal volume, a good two <laughs> or three three feet away from each other. Yeah, that that is a problem that I don't think I've ever seen solved satisfactorily on on either in either on TV or. On the big screen, you know this this dilemma that the the director has when the scene is set in a club. How do you get the characters to talk in a way that looks cinematic? Well, there's 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 a perfectly reasonable plot device that's used also in many '80s cop shows and action films, um, and um, as you would expect from a club whose manager is also fronting an evil satanic cult or drugs ring or something. But he's always got a soundproofed office, a bleak stroke torture chamber in the back. Sure, yeah, so you can go through there. And um, a a skilled director, or even an unskilled director, can gloss it quite nicely Mm. by um, having the characters rhubarb, rhubarb silently. Um, And then as the door closes, suddenly the volume of the music drops to almost nothing. Sure, yeah, yeah, that could work. Um, that could well so work. The, 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 the second example, and um, you might even dispute that it's metal, but considering it's the song that is widely considered to be the origin of the expression heavy metal, I'm going to have the bit in Easy Rider where mm-hmm. um, they're riding through the desert with Born to be Wild playing on the soundtrack. No, I'm going to give you that. Yeah. Who, who is, is that Wolf Spain? Hang on. No, Steppenwolf, isn't it? Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf yeah. Yeah, Step, of course. No, I'll give you that, Doc. Don't worry about that. Um, you just mentioned the the Matrix, and my number two choice is the Matrix, actually. Um, and, uh, again, this is one that some purists will argue, is it metal or not? I think the guitar sounds metallic enough to qualify. And that's the, the very, very end scene where Neo is in the telephone box talking, explaining what's going to happen next. <clears throat> And have we got the, is, is that is that Bullet in the Head by Rage Against the Machine? Well, it's Rage Against the Machine, but it's actually a track called Wake Up. Um, right. Which is, given that that track was written in, I think, 92 or 93, and The Matrix didn't yeah. come out until 1999, I must be honest, I assume that track was written for the film, given the title of the song. But no, it predates the movie by about six years, so just a, just a coincidence. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean... I, I think if you listen even superficially to the lyrics of the song, um, it's 
Um, I understand they picked it for the title, and it works really nicely over that last uh, that that last freeze frame. It's really effective. Yeah, it's really yeah. effective. It's not a freeze frame. It's actually he Neo steps out <coughs> of the. I only remember this because I watched the clip today on YouTube. Neo steps out of um, the telephone kiosk, and just as just as um, you know, they kind of drop the bass. Basically, the mm-hmm. the guitar holds a power chord. The bass plays this really like intricate lead line, and then suddenly it just the beat drops, and Neo flies into the sky because now he's got all the powers. <clears throat> and I was convinced that was a freeze frame. Oh, no, well, not not on the clip that I watched. How about that? Um, ah, interesting. Have you got a third one, Doc? I know you were struggling for your second. Um, I know, and I couldn't help noticing that we both managed one example each, and then we immediately had to start apologising and going, well, I'm not sure whether this is really metal. Um, yes. so, and um, I'm really, really, really struggling for my third one. Um, it's all right. Do you want a bit of time to think? Um, yeah, particularly if you have another one. I've got a third one, uh, and this definitely is metal. Um, it's... A Dario Argento film, which goes by two titles. The American title is Creepers, and the European title is Phenomena. Um, and mm. in this, we have the presence on the soundtrack of the mighty Iron Maiden and Motorhead. Um, it's a strange one, correct? Have you seen this one, Doc? No. It's, it's a strange one. There seem to be two distinct versions of it. Um, one of which is a strange, bastardised, English-speaking and Italian-speaking dub um, with no with with subtitles over the Italian sections, in, subtitles in English over the Italian section, and I think that's the European release. And then there's a second version, which I think is the North American release, which is dubbed entirely in English with no subtitles. It's a curious beast. Mm. What makes it doubly curious is the main actress is Jennifer Con- Connolly, obviously an American yeah. actress. I presume she was delivering her lines in English. So why there's this strange like Italian, half English, half Italian version, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I can't explain it. I'd need, to, I'd need to research it. But the music's great. It's a really good film. I think, Doc, if, if, it's, if, if it's the one that I remember correctly, this is the one that brilliantly finishes with the revelation that the murderer is a chimpanzee with a cutthroat <laughs> razor blade. Which is great. I'm laughing so much because I cannot come to the third example. Um, no, I'm right. going to have to concede. I'm, I'm going to have to concede defeat. Um, why has metal been so ignored by, um, by, by, by movie directors? It's, it's strange, isn't it? Because, I, I mean, I, you know, I would make the distinction between proper metal, which I, I agree has been largely ignored, especially by Hollywood, um, and <clears throat> new metal, which, you, you, you know, everybody knows my opinions on, the, on new metal by now, if you're a listener to this show. Um, it's not metal. It's just not metal. It's not good. It's awful, in fact, generally speaking. Um, but, 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 you know, there was a lot of new metal used in particularly kind of horror movies aimed at teenagers. I'd say in the mid-noughties, oh. 
until the mid until you know the mid noughties for about five or six years after that. Um, your likes of Final Destination, um, you know that that kind of that kind of movie. Yeah, use a lot of new metal. I think. Um, I assume because the movie was produced by the same company that the band was signed to, and that, that there was there was there was a tie-in on the soundtrack, right? Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there was there, there was some kind of business arrangement going on there for sure. Um, yeah, you know, so it, you know, if if it was a Sony Pictures movie, you bet your ass that the the, the artists featured are, are signed on on Sony Records, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, I would have thought, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm no stranger to, to to modern cheese. I'm not an expert on it, but I would have thought it would have been almost like a mathematical certainty that there would be some crappy, like Uwe Ball directed, shot in Romania, um, targeted squarely at Germans, like crappy swords and sorcery fantasy film with Hammerfall on the soundtrack or something. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that just, it, it just seems like it's such a no-brainer. All, all you have to do is take a Hammerfall album and mm. get Uwe Boll to direct that movie. <laughs> yeah, no, That's it, all it, you have to do. I mean, you're quite right. But I, I think maybe even the likes of Uwe Boll are put off it when they see, you know, like, like a typical Hammerfall video for one of their fucking singles. You know, I mean, <laughs> they're just so astonishingly awful. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it makes Uwe Boll look like Orson Welles, you know. Um, maybe, you know, so maybe that's a factor, but no, you're right, it, it, it has fared very, very poorly. As I, as I said earlier, the only exception to that is from time to time when they want to establish that a character is a psychopath or a serial killer, well, they yeah. listen to metal, don't they? You know, um, it's like, like shorthand effectively, yeah. Um, but I mean, just the, the, the more I think about this, you can't tell me that like Canon Films didn't make a crappy Conan the Barbarian knockoff in about 1983, just as it was going out of fashion mm. with like Man of War on the soundtrack or something. Yeah. <laughs> Mathematically, it must have happened. <laughs> yeah, it must um, have happened. We, we just haven't, we just haven't listeners- experienced them. Listeners, if you know what that movie is, Inquiring Minds want to know because we want to watch it. And on that note, don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slitanicvercast at gmail.com. I feel like I'm pissing in the wind, Doc, but I'm going to keep repeating it. Um, Let's move on. Welcome to part two of the show. Here, we play the track, pause it from time to time to discuss what we're listening to and generally just get on down. This week's song is track three from Slayer's third album, Raining Blood, and the track is called Necrophobic. Pay attention, guys. Blink and you'll miss it. Here we go. Well, it's pretty full on. I'll say that just to, to begin with. Um, so that introduction is what people think is is what the lightly educated think of when they think of the album Rain and Blood, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, I'd say so. Yes, yeah, just like a, just a blitzkrieg of speed. 
Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I'm going to say what Jean-Luc Godard did for filmmaking is what Slayer have done for metal um, with this. It's, it's what they proverbially do with, with, with this whole album, which is um, cut out the boring bits, which they do by, instead of editing out whole scenes or rewriting the script, they take bits out from the middle of the scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they reduce the running time by sometimes very, very crudely trimming the fat off it. Well, I mean, quite literally by chopping, I would say by chopping the verse structure and the chorus structure in half. Um, you know, if you look at, if you look at the lyrics written down and the way they're structured in a, in, in, in like a regular typical, typically structured song, you'd expect the lyric structure of each verse to be at least twice as long. Um, So, you know, they're just literally cutting everything in half. Let's pay more attention to that intro as well, because that that, that intro is very oddly truncated, isn't it? Mm. Should should we have another quick listen? Yes, please. Here we go. Yeah, so so it's, it's one rep, basically. It's one repetition, and you're in. And again, to me, that's you know, again, that's 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 the, the same philosophy, really, isn't it? You know, you would expect normally for that riff to be played at least two times, if not four times, before you actually kick in with mm-hmm. the main riff. But they just do it once, a quick fill, and then off. Well, no, not even a fill, a couple of stops, and off we go. Yeah, and it's a it's it's a songwriting style which um, has influenced things in places you wouldn't expect. I'm going to come back to this a bit later on in the episode um, because I can think of a really, really odd example of a far more recent song um, that does that. And I think you might smile when I tell you what it is. Ooh, a bit of foreshadowing from the dock. Here we go. Laceratingly aggressive, I think it's just so confrontational. Um, so we've commented on this about uh, Slayer before. Not particularly heavy. Um, you wouldn't necessarily call it heavy. No. Um, it's, and I, I, I know I talked about this a lot about the first two albums. It's another one of those Slayer songs that's designed to sound really good on cheap, nasty headphones. Or, yeah. Like a, a really cheap nasty you couldn't even get the volume that you want out of a cheap nasty stereo that song is written and mixed to be absolutely blasted clipped to hell through the through the the kind of really cheap headphones that your average slayer fan would been able would have been able to afford sure and and part of the reason for that kind of almost like trebly nature because i totally agree with you it is not heavy it's it's furiously aggressive but it is not heavy but then at the same time, you've got those kind of menacing chords in the background, being double-strummed, mm-hmm. admittedly. But but the reason, it, I think the reason it sounds a bit trebly, but then those next chords sound so fucking menacing is because they're actually, 
playing the playing the, the double strum pattern on the A string, not on the E string. So the, the, the double strum and the A string, which makes it obviously obviously renders the pitch a bit higher. But then yeah. when they drop down to that E string, that just suddenly it sounds so so deep mm. and so fucking evil. Um, I think it's the first time we've seen them do that. Right. So um, here's a question, and I, I'm I'm not asking you a question that I already know the answer to. I think I know the answer, but I want to run this past you because you're the guitar player. Mm. <clears throat> um, that you're confident that they're playing this starting on the A string as yeah. opposed to starting using a bar chord and starting on the fifth fret of the of the E string. No, the, I think they're playing it. I, I, I haven't learned this song, but just from ear, hmm. and anybody that knows different, please correct me, but just from ear, they're playing an open A string, but palm muted and then double strumming it. Yeah, so yeah. if I've got this right, um, and this is supporting your idea, um, they've made that decision. Obviously, if, you, if you're writing a, a metal track um, or a punk track or a hardcore track um, in the key of A, <clears throat> the go-to way of doing it will be to slap your regular bar chord um, across all six strings on the fifth fret sure. and get your A chord that way. I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I get you. By, by, by leaving out the E string completely, mm -hmm. you're, you're depriving the sound of its most bass heavy crunchy heavy component mm -hmm. um you're taking away i'd say by leaving out the eastern completely you're immediately taking away a quarter at least a quarter of the heaviness yeah that's right but but, the, but then they drop the heaviness in when they do drop down to the to the e to the e string just play it briefly and then they're back up on the a again and we've got the yeah. treble back i think i, I think also it's a deliberate attempt attempt at just being in your face and abrasive definitely yeah um i'm really really fascinated by um what you just said because it's we're into sort of one of those one of those musical innovations and i suppose as if it needs to be said one of the reasons why these people are better guitar players than i would ever be because <laughs> i would never have thought of that yeah yeah, I would never have thought of what I'm going to do is play the same chord, but instead of starting on the fifth fret of the E string, I'm going to start with an open A mm -hmm. in minor, obviously. But I, I'm, I'm going to start with an open A, and I'm going to do that deliberately to rob the bottom end mm -hmm. out of the chord to make it sound more tinny and more aggressive and, and nastier. Is that like the the like the um, the punk kind of crust influence? Would you say? You know, to make to make it spiky and abrasive. Yeah, I mean, um, when so I mean, you you, you go to example um, the the Ur example, the original example, you say crass. Yeah, um, and I mean, they would do no, that. They, they would turn the bass off everything and the treble up on everything because their equipment was so terrible it, it couldn't possibly reproduce bass anyway. Uh, definitely palm muting. Um, I suspect a lot of punk guitarists uh, started off with the learn to play guitar book that you got from the public library. Um, and probably likely the, the first three chords they teach you is G and A major and A minor and then mm -hmm. D. Mm -hmm. So that, that, A, that, that A minor, that open A minor is probably the second chord you're ever going to learn. Um, and when you're starting out as a guitarist, 
completely untrained, unskilled guitarist in a punk band, um, where you, you you only got your first instrument the day before your first live show. Sure. <laughs> um, then that's probably one of the two and a bit chords that you actually know. So you, you're, you're going to you're going to use that fucker a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Let's press on. Here we go. Slayer just dropped the groove again, Doc. Absolutely. Didn't they? What what a change up that is. Um, so, I mean, this is just completely exemplary of the fact that we're now in the presence of a band who don't merely have technical mastery um, of their, their genre um, and of their material, but they've, they've got the confidence to be, to, to feel that they can do stuff like that. Mm. Once again, when you're a very, very new punk rock guitarist, you don't dare slow down. Mm. <laughs> um, you don't dare do anything that will give away the fact that you can't play for shit. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, Distortion on full, volume on 11. Keep playing as fast as, as your wrist will let you, basically. Um, yeah, and um, take a nail file and punch some holes in the uh, um, in the cone of amplifier as well, so it can't possibly reproduce <laughs> any bass at all. <laughs> true, it's true. Here we go. It's about to go um, crackers. Are we ready? Yeah. I'll stop it there because, unbelievably, we are heading into the outro, effectively, of the song. I'm, I'm going to give you the song structure here, Doc, because this, this blew my mind, really, when, it, when, I, when I really thought, of course, I know this song back to front, but it's only when, we, you know, when you sit down to, you know, prepare for one of these episodes, you really start to think about things in depth. This, this track Definitely. has two verses, two choruses, two solos, an intro, a break, and a reprise, and is one minute, 40 seconds long. Um, I'm going to go back to what I said right at the beginning. It's um, it's going through it. it it's, it's writing the track, um, possibly at a slower pace, possibly mm. with a more relaxed stru song structure. And then um, just what Godard did with films like Abu Dhabi, you, mm. you, you edit the parts of the scene. Yeah. Um, you can say those, that, that second and three quarter, um, where that chap is reaching for his cigarette lighter, that can come out. Sure. Yeah, it's um, redundant. We don't need it. Yeah. Um, we can. We, we need to see the guy take three footsteps down the corridor, but we don't need to see him take seven, so those four footsteps can come out. Mm. Mm. Um, and it, it's just ruthlessly pruning anything that doesn't support the narrative. Yeah. 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 It's You know, they played it even faster live. I, I watched a video... I think they were playing it in either 1986 or 1987. And I timed it from when they started playing until the track ended at 1 minute 30. So they took 10 seconds off it when they played it live. Um, just absolute speed demons. I mean, the, the whole track is, not it? It's an for me, it's an exercise in speed, intensity and focus. And effectively just saying, you know, 
it's almost like an experiment is it can we do it oh yes we just did it yeah um it's 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 metal as athletics isn't it mm. mm-hmm. um you know can 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 you squeeze the extra millimeter into your high jump yeah um can you shave the extra one one hundredth of a second off your hundred meters mm. it's um, interesting you make that that comparison to athletics which is obviously you know competitive sport could it be that you know that you know they decided to ramp up the speed and intensity to this degree because maybe they you know maybe they felt the the warm breath of their german counterparts on the back of their necks what do you think um i think there's competition both friendly and unfriendly that takes place between musicians Mm. um all the time and you know, if if you look back, so in 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 mainstream rock circles, it's very very often unfriendly, um, and you know the the equivalent of that you get nowadays is um, what happens in hip hop, where people will, will will actually write diss tracks about each other. Yeah. Um, and in the very very dark days of album oriented mainstream seventies rock people would play solos that would like mock another guitar player solo. Um, yes. You know, they would, they would take a bit of someone's solo that that guy was really proud of and, and, and just to show them, just to humiliate and play it at twice the speed. Sure. Um, or play, play the solo in a much more complicated time signature. And Ma- I, I Metallica think that's did this. Oh, sorry, Doc. Metallica yeah. did this briefly on, um, on their Garage Days revisited EP. Well, they, they 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 definitely played a bit that was like parodying Maiden and not in a complimentary way. It was a very very strange decision to make. Quickly, just to go back to you were talking about like beef tracks and diss tracks in hip-hop yeah anybody who hasn't heard it go check out the question by zani it's awesome you said you fucking did me cause i look like your daughter 16 you're disgusting pedophile cunt but you said that i'm finally your shame so private schoolboy you're funny you jack white trash Anything else, Doc, or should we, should, we, should we finish this bad boy off? Um, also, I was going to go on to say, I always assume that the spirit of competition, whilst alive and well in thrash yeah. um, and in European metal, um, was always far more good-natured. Um, I mean, if, if you get a rep as a guitar player or as a drummer or something, 
um, then uh, I mean, the, there isn't a journalist, there isn't a journalist alive um, who doesn't wish, let's say, they whether or not you're into sport, whether or not you're into boxing, there isn't a journalist alive who doesn't wish they, that they could have got to um, com- uh, write commentary on a Muhammad Ali fight. Mm, mm. And you know, a, a, a big part of that was him trash talking his opponent and, and sure. you know describing how he was going to take him down and then doing it exactly the way he said he was going to. Um, so, I mean... I find those um, those old video clips of Muhammad Ali absolutely astonishing. I, I do sometimes fall down Muhammad Ali rabbit holes on YouTube um, and just his his eloquence, his, his command over the English language was was truly remarkable. You know, he, he, was, he was a mixture... Of, of an orator, a, like a street poet, and a stand-up comedian all at the same time. He was absolutely remarkable. Um, I, I mean, uh, we, we're going down a bit of a rabbit hole now, but I mean, I, I've been drawn to think more than once, like hip-hop started there. Mm, mm. I, I, um, I, I can see it, I, because when he, when he speaks, he speaks with a rhythm, doesn't he? You know that you, you could you could easily put a beat to it when, when he's you know when, when he's really on fire and when he's in when he's in the groove, you could put a beat under that and it, and it would be, it would sound awesome. Yeah, and I mean it, it, it's it's got all the it, it's got the combination of humour and militancy mm. and intelligence. Yeah, um, and um, uh, urban autodidacticism. Mm. Um, that would later come to characterise the best of hip hop, I think. Sure, yeah, I totally um, agree. So, uh, and just sort of getting back to the subject in hand, um, it's having a beef or pretending to have a beef or pretending to have a rivalry um, is a really, really good way to get press. It's a really good way to get attention. Yeah, um, and. Um, don't particularly feel this, this this way myself in anything that I do with my life, but many people find that having some competition um, is desirable or indeed necessary for them to achieve their best performance. Yeah, well, um, you, you, you know, you do hear people say things like, you know, competition brings out the best in everybody. Yeah. Um, uh, normally those people work for investment banks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, or a, a football managers, one or the other. Yeah, mm. um, and the, when when those people are speaking, the part of it that they normally leave out um, is that they've got a huge bailout fund at their back, or they've got really wealthy foreign investors. Mm. Um, mm. In which case, you might want to say, in that case, is it truly competition? But <clears throat> um, we're talking about metal. We are, um, and you brought up. Whether or not the the the, the rivalry spoken or otherwise, um, or whether Slayer were sort of feeling the heat from, no, I, I think you're talking about Creator, weren't you? Well, I mean, Creator, yeah, probably top of the list. But you know, you've also got the likes of Sodom and Dis- Destruction. You can throw into the mix there as well. You know, if you're really brave, you can mention Overkill if you want. I think they're German. No, they're American. No, they're American. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't write in, guys. Don't write in. I remembered in time. <laughs> um, and I mean, uh, say what you like, but um, they're crap. But they sure as hell were fast. They were. They were. You're, you're dead right. Um, they weren't very good, but they were fast. <laughs> should we finish this off, Doc? Yes. 
Here we go. So there we go, that was Necrophobic, track three from Slayer's infamous third album, Rain in Blood. Is it too fast, Doc? That, 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 that's that's my, my, my opening question to you now, now that we've heard the whole song. Is it too fast? Right. You have more of a taste for speed than I do. I don't think it's too fast. Mm. A whole album like that would test my patience. Yeah. And that's nothing to do with getting old. It would mm. have done when I was 14. Mm. Um, but um, on an album which I think even at the time set out its stall to push every extreme imaginable yep. um, in terms of lyrical content, production um, just every extremity possible then at least once you've got to push the extremes for speed haven't you? Yeah, yeah, you're right but, it, but it's, you know it's why I, I, think this, I think this is the track more than any other although Maybe when we get to Epidemic and Reborn, you know, we'll, we'll have this conversation again. Maybe those three tracks in total. You know, I think this is where the, the discussions about does, does Rain in Blood actually veer into punk or not? Is it truly a metal album or is it really a crossover album? I don't know the definitive out, answer to that, by the way. Here is Dr. Lequescence's answer to why it's not punk rock. Mm. Um, it says it isn't. Yeah. The first, I mean, it, it, it claims to be metal and therefore it is. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, um, there's far too many people then and now who claim to be punk rock who weren't. And as far as I'm concerned, if you don't even claim that you're punk rock, then you're definitely not. I mean, my thinking was maybe, the, and, and this really isn't to diss punk, because I, I, I quite like a bit of punk personally, but it, it is the level of musical proficiency just too great to, for it truly to be considered punk? Um, I'd say at this stage of the game, yes. Mm. Um, I, there were at this particular point in, uh, I mean, um, people like the Minutemen, um, and people always forget how hard and fast Who's Could Do were when they first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knows them best for their more melodic, more experimental stuff later in their career, but um, at the time of Metal Circus and um, Land Speed Record. Um, everyone forgets how fast and intense they were. Mm. Can, can we say the same of Fugazi? Or is my memory playing tricks? Um, Fugazi are they're definitely very, very skilled musicians. Um, at this point, half of Fugazi were in Rites of Spring and half of Fugazi were in Minor Threat. Yeah. Uh, neither of whom are slow. Mm, mm. Um, <clears throat> Fugazi, Fugazi are never particularly quick. They're, 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 they're much heavier, but I mean, they... That was a point when those musicians had attained a level of competence and confidence. It's kind of what I was talking about earlier on. When you're little and you can't play, you daren't slow down because you don't want to give the game away. Sure. And it, it's, it's only when those people learn to play much, much better. Um, and I think sort of put together this East Coast, hard, this, this sort of Washington hardcore supergroup mm. um, with the best bass player in town and the best drummer in town yeah. and the best vocalist in town and the best guitarist in town <clears throat> and, and, and formed Fugazi. But that, that was when um, they decided they had the confidence to, to slow down and start exploring a bit. Mm. 
Um, but I mean, um, minor threat and rights of spring, you definitely need to include. Um, yeah, that, that, that was my instinct. Um, and obviously the um, the ultimate kings of speed, um, who and guilty with everything that this implies, um, the kings of speed that everyone forgets about is bad brains. I just, I just don't know that, that that band at all. I mean, I know the name, but I just don't know anything about them. Um, so they're uh, speed speed reggae metal is the only way you can describe it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, I'll try and find um, some and, and chuck chuck. I'll, I'll try and find some and chuck a bit in at this point. Um, unbelievably fast, unbelievably precise. Mm. Um, and I, I mean, thinking about it in terms of musicianship. Um, and in terms of really being able to play and play fast and precise, if there was anyone setting the bar for for Slayer, if there was anyone setting the bar for the thrash bands, if there was anyone from the hardcore camp setting the bar for the thrash bands, I, I, I think we need to look at Bad Brains. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah well, um, a bit of homework for the listeners, and I'll, I'll certainly check it out and, and, and drop a bit into the episode. Anything further to say, Doc, before we move on to the lyrics? Um, there's, I have plenty to say on, on, on the subject of like whether this is punk rock or whether it's thrash. Yeah. Um, and um, not much that's so relevant to this song. Um, I think you're definitely onto something. You're onto something, not everything, but something when you say it, it's it's just the, the standard of musicianship and the standard of production is just too high to be hardcore. Mm. Um, and there's other songs later on this album um, which will be worthwhile coming back to this well for. There we go. We'll do that then. Welcome to part three of the show, which we call Evil Speak. Here we go through the lyrics and dissect them and see if we can pick out the bones, basically. Um, So here goes the first, I'm going to call them the first two verses. I don't really know. I'm going to mash them together anyway. Strangulation, mutilation, Cancer of the brain, limb dissection, amputation from a mind deranged, asphyxiation, suffocation, gasping for air. Explain to me the feeling after sitting in the chair with a question mark. Um, go on then, Doc. What do we, I mean, it's pretty standard horror fair stuff, isn't it? Um, honestly, <laughs> these looks confuse me quite a bit. Mm. The title of the song is necrophobic, obviously meaning fear of death. Yeah. Um, so what we appear to begin with is a catalogue of many fearful ways in which it's possible to die um, and why they might be frightening. Does it go any further than that? Or is it literally a list of grim, painful ways to die that you might be frightened of? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean... Everything here, well, there are three bits that aren't kind of terrible ways to die or be injured. So you've got cancer of the brain, 
Well, I suppose that's a way to die, but that's not inflicted by somebody else, is it? Um, we've got from a mind deranged. Okay. I mean, it's clumsy grammar at best, isn't it? Amputation from a mind deranged. I always like to give Slayer lyrics the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Um, is this half a line? Um, is it more subtle than I'm giving it credit for immediately? Um, are we supposed to take from this? Um, is it the narrator whose mind is deranged and he's once again clumsily, um, but it's a plea for or a narration of um, his body being separated from his deranged mind? Um, there's another bit of the Slayer cosmology coming in here. And it, it, it's, it came up a few times on the first two albums, and it, it's, it's, it's this manichaeistic idea of the, 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 dual, the, the dualism between body and mind. Mm. Um, and the, the, the oft-expressed desire that the two can be separated, or the inevitability and immutability of the two being separated. Um, as we go on through the lyrics, I'd like you to keep that thought in your mind. Um, is it, admittedly clumsily expressed, another expression um, of this, this, this part of the uh, the Slayer mythos, the the, the 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 Slayer cosmology. Well, the perspective is peculiar, isn't it? Because we've got this list of terrible uh, things that can be inflicted on, upon a body. Then we've got that from a mind deranged. So we don't really know the, the whose mind that's talking about. But then we get that last line there. Explain to me the feeling after sitting in the chair. Now, I mean, the me's strange because who's the me? Well, I've got a crazy am... idea. Mm. Doc, I've got a crazy idea that we might be seeing this from the perspective of some kind of law enforcement officer that, that's kind of studying the crime scenes of a killer. Um, and so the, all of these thoughts, right. all the thoughts that, that are being had are... You know the, the the copper basically thinking about the terrible things that this that this maniac has has done to to other people, and 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 that, and that last line is kind of spiteful on the part of the of the police officer. Explain to me, you know, the same feeling that you bestowed upon other people. I want you to explain that you feel that same feeling as you're being fucking fried. Right. Um, I'm going to continue from yours. My first thought. Mm. Um, is that the, the, the narrator explained to me the feeling after said, um, I assumed it was a psychiatrist. Um, it's a possibility. I assumed, um, I assumed um, in a bad bid for a rhyme because couch doesn't rhyme with air. Um, <laughs> and because, um, and because not even Kerry King would end a line with the word ouch. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, <laughs> what you said... Um, Tell me if you think this works. I'm not saying, I, I'm pretty sure there was a bit very like this in Seven, in the movie Seven. Mm. Um, and I think um, the, 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 the older cop who's about to return, I, I think they go to one of the murder scenes and there's the, the bed or the chair or the piece of furniture that was used as part of one of the murders. Um, and he gets the younger copper to sit on the chair or lie in the bed or something and say something along the lines of, you know, imagine what you're feeling now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I, I, I kind of think you're onto something. I don't know. Um, I don't know. The, and, and the deployment of the question mark is is most peculiar. It, it, in the version of the lyrics that I've that I've got, or, you know, where I've taken these from, is is our beloved Encyclopedia Metallum. They're normally spot on. Yeah. Um, and and it ends with a question. Explain to me the feeling after sitting in the chair. Question mark. What? <laughs> um. Let's go back to Dario Argento territory. Mm. Or like general sort of supernaturally inflected gallo territory. And we, 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 we suspect, don't we, that Slayer had watched their fair share of supernaturally inflected galley. I would imagine so. Um, is it, uh, I'm, I'm sure I've seen this in at least one Lucio Filky film or at least one Mario Bava film, um, where the detective takes a, a psychic investigator or a, 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 a psychic or something along to the murder scene. Um, and then try to imagine the police psychologist or something um, asking the psychic investigator for help. Was it strangulation, mutilation, cancer of the brain, limb dissection, amputation from a mind deranged, asphyxiation, suffocation, gasping for air? Explain to me the feeling after mm. sitting in. I like it, Doc. I like it a lot. Yeah, um, yeah it's a possibility. I like it. Mm. So we've got we've got um, three the- we've kind of got three theories on the go here, haven't we? We've got yeah. my theory that it's uh, that it's like a, 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 a detective in, in, in investigating a serial killer, and you've got two theories bubbling away now, Doc. One that it's a, a yeah. psychologist of some sort, and the other that, it, that, that, that it's tapping back into the into the Slayer mythos. Yeah, um, I, 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 I still want to hear the version of this song that goes asphyxia, asphy- asphyxiation, suffocation. Um, gasping for air, ouch. Explain to me the feeling after sitting on the couch. I want to hear that version very, very I would, badly. I would love to hear Tom sing the word couch. It would be absolutely marvellous. <laughs> okay, here's the chorus, nice and brief. Ripping apart, severing flesh, gouging eyes, tearing limb from limb. Ripping apart, severing flesh, gouging eyes, tearing limb from limb. I mean, <laughs> I have nothing to say about the chorus, Doc. <laughs> the only possible use it has for us here, as 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 we dissect the song, mm-hmm. um, good. These thing these things happen fairly frequently in Lucio Fulci and Mario Bava films. Now, do they not? Um, <coughs> oh, you make it. Yeah, oh, you make it. Yeah. <coughs> You're quite correct. Um, he does love a good eye gouging design. He does. He certainly does. Yeah, and the, and the granddaddy of all of them is, of course, in Zombie Flesh Eaters. Anybody who's not checked that out, do so instantly. Um, uh, which, which one is better? Is it the one in Zombie Flesh Eaters or the one in The Beyond? I, I think Zombie Flesh Eaters is the standout for me. But the, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the stuff in The Beyond is great as well, of course. I, I always thought this song was called Limb from Limb, you know, Doc. It, it, if I would have been on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and the final question for £1 million was, what is the name of the third track on Slayer's Rain in Blood? I mean, what's the, the chance of that is pretty remote and what a remarkable stroke of luck it would be on my part. <laughs> <laughs> but I would have got it wrong because I, I honestly... Only in re- in preparing for this episode have I discovered the title of this track. I must have heard. Do you, 
a thousand times. Would and I thought it was called going, limp from limp. Go on, sorry, Doug. Would you have been going home with sixty-four pounds? I would have been well with with thirty-two thousand. I'd have been going home with thirty-two thousand pounds, Doc. I'd have been absolutely devastated. Oh, I know. Um, I mean, uh, a track called "Piece by Piece" followed by a track called "Limb from Limb." Yeah, fit nicely. Yeah, fit, and I think I think that's why. I think that's partly why. I've got nothing else to say there, Doc. Should we move on to the onto the the next set of uh, verse lyrics? I think so. Experimentation, slow infection, internal decay, execution, knee transfusion, body rots away, sliced incision, zero vision, loss of vital signs, skin, skin contortion, bone erosion, your life becomes your, your fine. I mean, we'll get to that last that, that last line in a moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's it's a continuation of a theme, isn't it, Doc? Let's be honest here. It's just it, the, right. the list continues. Um, I thought when I listened to the song for years and years and years, I thought I'd spotted another bit of an intentional Slayer whimsy. <laughs> um, I haven't, but there is one. I was convinced for years and years and years the line was slashed incision, zero vision, lots of vital signs. <laughs> That's good, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, which would, of course, paired up nicely with um, the lyrics from uh, Sacrificial Suicide by Deerside, <laughs> where I, I believe it opens with um, suicide, sacrifice, lots of evil deep inside, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> Lots of evil, absolutely brilliant. I think there, I think there is a bit of mild Slayer lyricism here. That the use of the word "need" before transfusion, I think, is a bit mild, isn't it? Execution, need. I need. I need a transfusion. You know, no, not very strong. The one I, the one I was referring to is your life becomes your fine, not your life becomes your damnation, not your life becomes your torture not even your life not even your life becomes your three months on probation your life becomes your fine i mean does it mean fine as in some kind of penalty i mean that's my assumption here yes that's how i interpreted it yeah the very very mildest judicial penalty it's possible to hand out i should think i mean it's incredibly clumsy writing um I mean, if it had been done to make it rhyme or to make the meter work, yeah. it would be just yeah. about forgiving. But it neither makes it rhyme nor does it make the meter work, and that's what makes it even funnier. Well, they're rhyming it with signs, aren't they? So, you know, I suppose, yeah, if, they, I suppose if they'd have said loss of vital sign, then we get the rhyme. Yes. Um, so, no, I mean, it, it pretty much fails on every level. Your life becomes your... It's, it, I mean, it is awful. It's an awful line. Um, yeah. Um, and we can't just Kerry? blame. Well, we can't just blame Kerry this time because it's no, Kerry and no, no. Kerry and Jeff are credited for writing the lyrics and the music. Actually, um, so you know, if Jeff's going to get the uh, the royalties from the writing credit, he's got to take the responsibility too, I suppose. Um, oof, nothing else to say for me, Doc. It's tough because you know the, the, they're just not very evocative lyrics, are they? You know, just a, basically a list of horrible things that you can do to a, a human body. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's it's a peculiar thing to say. Um, in the same way that, bizarrely enough, 
when you watched enough substandard Gala films, you begin to realise how boring violence and nudity can get. Mm. You wouldn't imagine, would you, that a song that runs at less than two minutes um, and is nothing but a description of extreme violence can have such boring lyrics, but there's nothing yeah. remotely evocative about them. No, there's not. No, there really isn't. The first um, four lines are quite good. The first four well, lines give us something to think about. Yeah, yeah, but it it, it, it has fallen off a bit of a cliff with with the, the, the next four. This this little section here as well. Is there a bit of the um, like cryogenics going on on again? Do we think is there some kind of like back reference to cryonics? This idea experimentation, slow infection, eternal decay, execution, need transfusion. So, you know, why, if we are from the perspective of, of a serial killer's mind, why is the killer saying that you need a transfusion? Could Surely that be? would be a doctor trying to save somebody's life. Right. Um, does it mean not a transfusion is required? Does it refer to a transfusion of need? Need transfusion. I oh, guess that's a possibility, isn't it? A need. Does it refer to someone who has so completely lost touch with sensation? Yeah. Um, and what it means to want or desire or need anything. Um, the, the execution that's referred to here, um, in fact, functions as a transfusion um, of desire and need and want sure. if only for death i like I, I, I do like that doc it's certainly a possibility um anything else to say not really for me doc shall, 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 shall i hit you with the last set of lyrics necrophobic can't control the paranoia scared to die and that's the end of the song. Um, <clears throat> scared's a funny word, isn't it, Doc? Scared's a funny word because, it, you know, it's it's not terror. Is it? It's not horror. It's not dread. No. Um, it's a very humanised lyric. Uh, mm. It a very, very... It, it makes me think of... Um, the one place I can re remember... The one movie I can remember this line being used is in the Atwell Josie Wales, where um, Josie's sort of travelling companion in the first third of the film um, has been shot, and shortly after he's been shot, um, he, he makes a confession and says, Josie, I'm scared to die. Right, OK. Um, and a bit later on in the film, shortly before he does, he says, I ain't scared of dying no more. Mm. Um, so many Slayer songs are about embracing death, or hell, violence as a transcendent experience. Yes. Um, and we've, we've, we've discussed this before, particularly in the context of the work of Clive Barker. Um, and the, the, there are some parallels there that Slayer very often view death as a gateway or a transformative experience. Um, and I think the use of the word scared here um, is an attempt to put words into the mouth of someone who does not view death as a transformative experience. They are merely scared to die. I mean, it, it, of course, it's also a direct translation of the meaning of the title of the song. Um, so that's a nice 
you know that you know that kind of dovetails nicely, doesn't it? Putting those words into the mouth of the narrator, effectively yeah. as, an, as an explanation of the title. I think it's quite neat, actually. I, I don't mind it as a last line at all. Um, Let's rewind to the previous line because I'm fascinated yeah. by this. Yeah, can't control the paranoia now. Paranoia is obviously an irrational fear mm-hmm. of typically something that isn't likely to happen to you. Um, so you know, people, you you get paranoid about the government spying on you. Yeah. You get paranoid. You, you get paranoid about the neighbor's dog telling you to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing that is more certain to happen to every living person in the world than their own death. I don't. I, I don't understand why being scared of dying is paranoia. I think being scared of death is a perfectly reasonable fear because it's the one damn thing that's damn well going to happen to everybody. Yeah, but I suppose it depends on the on, on the time of your life, doesn't it? Don't you think if if you're 25? And you know your every waking moment is spent gripped by fear of death. I would suggest that is paranoid behaviour. Yeah, um, and I suppose um, amongst the means of demise listed in this song, um, quietly, comfortably in my sleep of a heart attack in my own bed is most definitely not one of them now, is it? No, no, it's not, no. But uh, does this, <clears throat> I mean, I think this last line throws my theory out of the water of the um, the detective. Um, but is it possible we, 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 we've had a flip of narrator in, in this last section of the song? Because suddenly this seems to be the person, well, presumably the victim of, of these barbaric acts that have been performed. Or is it somebody who is you know, totally paranoid and delusional and thinks this stuff is going to happen to them, and that's why they're, they're scared of death. Yeah. Um, let me try this by mm. um, the first, um, The second verse is what's happening in the real world. Mm-hmm. So, um, after the solo, the second verse describes what's happening in the real world. The first verse describes the paranoid delusion they are suffering from which may well embrace any of the three scenarios that we outlined. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, to all three of our theories could be correct based on the deluded thoughts of the narrator. Um, I mean, as far as could be correct, you're absolutely <coughs> right. that there's, um, there's, there's a narrator flip. Um, mm-hmm. There's a change in narrator. Yeah. It feels, um, like, it feels that way to me. I know this isn't the kind of song the clash would have written, but if the clash had played the song, um, the first verse would have been given to Mick Jones and the second verse would have been given to Joe Strummer and that they, they would have delineated the narration by having two different guys sing it. Sure, sure. Um, very much, in fact, as pungent stench do on treatments of pain. There's the blast from the past, um, which um, does have a uh, an, an, an interwoven torturer and victim narration. 
um, done by the uh, uh, the two main um, the two main vocalists. Um, and I just feel the need to point out as well that song also contains a bit of unintentional mildness um, because I think at one point the torturer refers to. Um, <laughs> In fact, there's two of them. The first one I was thinking of um, was he, he lists a great long list of torturous depredations he's going to visit on the other person. And then at the end, he says, that, like, uh, facial mutilations, eye gouging, and special treatments. <laughs> that kind of sounds like a facial, doesn't it? Or like, not like a nice mud pack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And special treatments. <laughs> Um, and then a bit later on he lists another great long list of horrible things Uh, I think watch him scream and bleed like a pork is one of them Um, and at the end of the great long list he says destroy his nose (laughs) sorry I do remember that (laughs) (laughs) what Kind of a random thing to, to command, destroy his nose. Absolutely brilliant. Yes, I, I, I must be honest, I love that pork reference in, in that song. But, but, but to the extent that I, I, I nicked it, you know, for one, a, a track in, in, in a band that I was in, I, 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 think, I think I used the line, cut her open like a pork, but it was a direct, <laughs> um, it was direct pungent stench reference. Yeah, sure. definitely. Brilliant. Um, I, um, there may even be a Hong Kong movie which references the, uh, the same track, which I believe is called Human Pork Chop. Get out of That's funny. <laughs> oh, God. So, um, <laughs> so oh, the thing God. is, no, what, 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 what have we learned from this song that makes us better people? What have we learned from this song that makes us more capable oh. citizens going on into the future? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> oh, you give me the giggle, <laughs> Doc. Well, um, point number one. Um, <laughs> putting indefinite articles where they do not deserve to be is intrinsically funny. <laughs> oh, God. Um <sighs> The Slayer aren't the only band who occasionally aspire to unintentional mildness. No, so between them, so we, we must also remember to include in future pungent stents, special treatments, and also destroy his nose. <laughs> um, I've learned that the track is not called Limb from Limb, it's called Necrophobic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on through... I think we're beginning to put together, I refer to it constantly as the the Slayer cosmology. Um, And I I think there is a continuous narration throughout almost, or throughout a goodly percentage of Slayer songs. Um, There's this meditation on um, the dichotomy between mind and body, the idea that death is not the end. And I'll come back to that in just one second. Um, and the overarching concept of um, there is only one war. Sure. Um, If you're an adherent of the Slayer mythos um, and you firmly believe or you firmly think that death is not the end, um, then you can feel a great deal of um, sadness and pity and sorrow and empathy for the 
poor soul who's narrating this track. And you kind of want to put your arm around his shoulders and say, don't worry, death is not the end. Listen to some Slayer, it will explain it to you. Sure, yeah, that's right. Yes, death is, ju- death is only the beginning. Never fear my yeah. friend. So um, effectively, the, 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 the great tragedy in this Slayer track is that the narrator didn't listen to Slayer enough. No, that's true. You're right. Um, are we done with the lyrics, Doc? I think we are. I think we are. The, the, not, <laughs> not the world's finest lyrics, but I suppose they fit the music well enough. Welcome to part four of Snaitanic Veracast. Here we offer our final thoughts and summations. First, though, some details. Writing credits, music by Hanneman and King. Lyrics by Hanneman and King. Setlist. According to Setlist, uh, Slayer played this 106 times, putting it in joint 58th position with Psychopathy Red from the World Painted Blood album. Um, first played the Moore Theatre Seattle on Halloween 1986. Last play, the Riot Fest, Colorado, September the 19th, 2014. That was the show that was the last play for several of the tracks from Raining Blood, Doc, because that was the last time they ever performed Raining Blood in its entirety from beginning to end at a live show. Um, uh, It seems they played this track pretty consistently for about a year and a half after they introduced it and then they dropped it only to resurrect it for their full performances of that album. So this is the new feature of the podcast where I'll just read out the extract from the website Loudwire. This is the article, Slayer, all 118 songs ranked from worst to best. So Necrophobic comes in at number 47, according to Loudwire. And this is what they say. Short and sweet, Necrophobic is a rare Slayer track that doesn't even last two minutes. The Raining Blood track is an exercise in speed and taboo. While cuts like Angel of Death disturb the listener while telling a story, necrophobic is just senseless gore. Not that any Slayer fan (laughs) in their right mind would complain. Can't really argue with that, Doc, to be honest. I don't know about you. I like this guy. This this guy kind of gets the point. Um, I love the way that he starts off by saying senseless gore and no Slayer fan in their right mind would complain. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. He introduces it as if it's a bad thing, but then makes it very clear that he totally, totally approves. You're Definitely. right. Um, and so do I. And so, exactly. And, uh, any final thoughts then, Doc, before we pronounce our scores? So, as we're learning, each song on this album is to do a certain thing, isn't it? <clears throat> so far. Um, and so the first track is to be as morally confrontational as possible. Mm. The second track is to see what can be done by using as simple a structure as possible mm-hmm. with deceptively complicated rhythms and um, crucially no solos. Um, this track is to do nothing but play as fast as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the exception of that kind of groovy breakdown at about yeah. the minute 20 mark. So, the, so this, um, they, they can't resist throwing in some dynamics, can they? Even, even when they're trying to just be blisteringly fast, they, they've still got to chuck some dynamics at you. Yeah, and why not? Yeah, and why not? Keep it, keep it interesting. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. In the end, what it does is it makes you want to know what Slayer are going to do next. It mm. makes you want to know what's going to be, what, what the next track's going to do. Mm. Um, Something that I, I forgot to mention earlier was the speed of Tom's delivery of the vocals. Now, for me, it's just kind of getting to the 
to the to the point of parody a little bit. Um, I don't think you can really deliver lyrics much faster than this without starting to sound a little bit silly. I'm not saying it sounds silly because I don't think it does, but I think an extra 10% and maybe we start to get into kind of wacky territory, which nobody approves of. No, they don't. And once again, I'm going to have to insist that you listen to Treatments of Pain by Pungent Stench, mm -hmm. uh, which you should anyway, mm -hmm. um, in which El Cojino um, delivers the line, um, facial mutilations leave the victim psychologically devastated in the same number of bars um, as he delivers the line, make your victim watch you as you do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he's squeezing, um, squeezing syllables in, basically. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I know some people think that Pendant Stench are self-prodic. I, I, I don't. I think they're, I think they have a sense of humour, but I don't think they're wacky. Yeah. Um, I don't think Austrians know how to do wacky. No, I think you're probably um, right. But, um, <clears throat> so you, you can go, for, you, you can isn't there a point when any kind of extremity just becomes comedic, though? Yeah, I think you're, there is a tipping point, isn't there, where it goes from, you know, either either horrific into comedic or intense into comedic or scary into comedic. I think you're quite correct. So, you know, something like Brain Dead is a, the movie, Peter Jackson movie is a fine example of that, isn't it? Where, you yeah. know, to begin with... You know, when, you know, when, he's, when, he, when, he, when he turns that bloody lawnmower on, to begin with, you're kind of grossed out. But after, after 10 minutes of the relentless onslaught, um, you, just, you just can't help but chuckle. Um, I think this was the point of movements in French theatre, like Grand Guignol mm -hmm. and Theatre of Cruelty. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it's just sort of used post used. Freudian psychology, which was very new at the time, to get you to confront something about yourself where horror, something revolting can just suddenly flip and become something very funny. Um, I there is, there is something really, oh, sorry, Doc, there is something really, um, really disturbing about that grand, the, the, the grand guignol stuff, isn't there? Of course, you know, the when I was in France, the the, the part of the country that I, that I that I inhabited was pretty much the home of the Guignol movement. Um, yeah. So you know, so it, 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 impossible to avoid. Just even as you're walking around the around the city around the city, you know. Um, and I think your part of the world was also sometime home to the real actual Marquis de Sade as well, was it not? Oh, I don't know about that. I know I wasn't I wasn't aware of that, but it's certainly um, possible. And uh, so if it's true, that, that would be a neat tie-up because um, <clears throat> I was going to say that um, there are some people, for instance, Jean-Paul Sartre, mm. um, who would argue that um, Dessard is actually political comedy. Um, mm. it, it's, it's, it's not violent porn um, at all. And he was the first person to really, really hit on that idea of grossing you out and offending your morals so badly that you'd start laughing and you'd start to wonder what bourgeois morals were all about in the first place. Yeah, well, I mean, a, a, a recent example of that, of course, would be, um, you know, the phenomena that was 50 shades of grey, you know, um, yeah. took the world by storm. I would suggest in, in any other period of history, that would have been denounced as absolute vile filth. But, you know, 
you could just go down to WH Smith's and buy it along with your, uh, you know, your Mars chocolate bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and any closing thoughts, Doc? I mean, it, um, it's another good track. It's mm. another really, really good track. Mm-hmm. Um, what I need to do when we finish the cycle of episodes um, is go back and for the first time in ages, listen to the whole album from beginning to end. Sure. Um, and I need to do that before we do our episode, like in conclusion of the whole entire album. I do, uh, may I recommend to you, Doc, uh, go onto YouTube, type in Still Raining, um, and watch them perform it live, the, the album from in its entirety from beginning to end. It, 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 it's a, it's a sure. fabulous experience. Um, are you ready to pronounce? I am. Hit me with your uh, liquescent swords, please, Doc. I'm going to get that seven liquescent swords out of ten. Seven liquescent swords. Oh, I'm, um, I'm really, really torn with this one. I, I, I really, I, I did enjoy it. I think, I think maybe it is a little bit too fast. Um, particularly the the, the the vocal delivery. I think. It could have just toned it down a little bit. It would have been more coherent. I don't like to do it, Doc, but I'm going to match you. It's getting seven mouldering most skulls. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that about does it for this episode. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we'll be talking about the fourth track from Raining Blood, which is, of course, Altar of Sacrifice. Sounds like fun to me, Doc. What a great title. Yeah, what a great title. I trust I'll see you there. Of course you will.